Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Stories and the Songs, the podcast in which myself, Christopher Gallagher, and the fantastic Mark Braceland discussed Celtic history in detail as we focus on one subject, I'm Christopher Gallagher, as mentioned, and I'm joined all the way from Canada. It's Mark Braceland. Hello, Mark. How are you? Not bad, mate. How's it going? I'm good, Mark. Thanks for asking. It's good to have you on the show as always. Where are you in Canada again, just to remind everyone? Prince Edward Island. I'm not giving my address away, though. We are here to focus on what is considered the greatest goal scorer of all time. The legendary, the fantastic James Edward McGrory, otherwise known as Jimmy McGrory. Um, We're going to focus on him and we're going to talk through his career and him as a person and everything in between. Uh, This is the first time we've recorded in almost a year. The last podcast we did was the 19th of February and it was on Charlie Tully. Um, a fantastic and wonderful player with uh, incredible stories um, and songs. Uh, You can go and check that out. That's in your RSS feed. It's on the app and it's on the website. Just type in the stories and the songs and uh, we've got our own category on the website so you can get all episodes in one place. So, Jimmy McGrory, why why did you suggest Jimmy McGrory as the player we do for this podcast? It's a good time to do it. It's coming up to nearly 100 years since he signed for the club or it is 100 years since he signed and you know I think he's he's kind of this figure that's uh, I think everybody knows the name everybody knows how many goals he scored but there's a lot more to him there's a lot of interesting stories surrounding you know he, he kind of pans this time period between Willie Maley and Steen uh, both as a player and as a manager and I think that it's a really interesting period and, and really not a very successful one as well despite how many goals the guy scored. So it's a, he's an interesting figure, I think, in our history. Jimmy McGrory, to me, just kind of legendary. We, we never saw him play. Um, there isn't an awful lot of footage you've seen him play either, is, is the other kind of uh, thing about it. But, you know, he's always mentioned in regards to Celtic legendary players, his goal scoring attributes are outrageous and incredible your father is he a big fan in, in in regards to the kind of stories and was stories about Jim McGrory passed to your dad and such ah, of course yeah and I think you know he didn't obviously see him play either but his dad did so I think like like the Tully stories I think you know Tully can overshadows a lot of players at that time just because he was such a big character yeah I think McGrory's much more seen as this kind of gentleman type figure uh, kind of unassuming and I think actually especially when he was the manager of the Celtic that kind of really held him back and we'll, we'll talk a wee bit about that I think uh, later on but I think just how can a player be so prolific in that time uh, and not get talked about of course and, and I think probably isn't remembered as well as he probably should be despite some of the records that we'll talk about you know we're, we're talking about a guy who in like world football is kind of probably largely forgotten despite what he did in the game and I so you know like what he's you know the eighth all-time greatest goal scorer he's fifth in terms of goals per game at you know 1.04 goals per game he's got the fifth highest ever goals per season and remember that at that time there was also no European games yes but the guy only played seven times for Scotland and it took until 2004 for him to get into the Hall of Fame. So I think there's parts that play into it and again, we'll talk about it, but his relationship, well, his direct relationship, I think, with the board was always pretty good because he mostly let them shaft him, for lack of a better phrase. But like he's someone who probably isn't as well regarded in world football as he should be or remembered in world football and, and maybe Celtic as a club we're, we're kind of guilty and, and as a fan base maybe we're guilty of it as well yeah I think it's interesting that you say that regarding his you know we'll talk about obviously there was the don't want to give too much away and jump ahead but there's the potential transfer to Arsenal um you know and he kind of comes you know, in modern football, obviously, player power it kind of determines a lot of things. If a player's not happy or a player wants to move, then they will move. Very rarely do you see it where the 
player decides to stay and he's almost punished for it by the club in a weird way. And again, we can kind of talk about that in detail. The Scotland thing is just, I, I don't understand it. But again, we can talk about that. No matter how many names are conjured up, one that will always be the occasion of a pause for admiration and respect is Jimmy McGrory. Like Jimmy Quinn, McGrory was a great example of the centre-forward as spearhead. He harried and hustled tirelessly. He was a hair shot to any defender who came up against him. A goal he scored in the 1924 Glasgow Cup final against Rangers was in one way typical. Tony wasn't that great with his feet, but uh, he made up for it with his, with his head and ability. I mean, if they hit a ball 20 yards out, it would not let a bullet. You think it, would, you think it came from his boot, but he hit it that hard. It was, uh, it was the best, best header of all ever was. When the compliment comes from a player of Jimmy Delaney's quality, it means all the more. Having played alongside him, he knows how hard the places were where Jimmy McGrory had to go to get his goals. But he sustained his adventurousness and his commitment to Celtic through a long career. The record shows he not only took the blows, but put away 550 goals in first-class football, a total still unequaled in Britain. In the memory, he seems to hang perpetually in the air, heading the ball past goalkeepers from almost any angle. James McGrory, James Edward McGrory, his early time, where was he from? He's from Royston, or, or the Garngad, is known to his pals. And so he was born 26th of April, <coughs> 1904, penance from Donegal. So again, that sort of uh, has that connection to Ireland, which obviously kind of filters into his connection with the club as well. Uh, absolutely. And I think that's something that will come up time and time again in here, just how much playing for Celtic meant to this guy. Yeah. Meant everything to him. So talk us through his start in the game. So he played junior football for St. Ross and then uh, signed for Celtic uh, when he was 17. You know, and, and at first, you know, that didn't go too well. What? When did he sign for Celtic? S- signed for Celtic on 10th of June, 1922. But, you know, didn't get a lot of game time. He had three appearances in that first season and then went on loan to Clyde Bank. He did actually score a winner against Celtic that year while he was on loan at Clyde Bank. Uh, a couple of things, I guess. Joe Cassidy was the main striker at that time. Phenomenal player, over 100 goals for the uh, for Celtic. Uh, probably another name that is kind of forgotten at times. Uh, used to be nicknamed Trooper Joe. Joe was let go after 1924, uh, so he... He was uh, released that year afterwards, and uh, and then Jimmy McGrory came back, and um, really the rest is history. After that, um, so he signs for Celtic tenth uh, of June nineteen twenty two. When he was at St Rocks, um, he was earning two pound a week, um, and then it's and then he goes to Celtic and he earns five pounds a week to go from there to Celtic. It, it's quite, not a big jump in money. No, it's it's not, but. I mean, he is also only 17 at that time. Uh, and, you know, Joe Cassidy would have been on about £10 a week. So we're not talking huge amounts of money that these players were getting paid at that time. And, and I think, what would that, what would the equivalency be uh, at that time? It's probably about just, I mean, it's probably puts you in the middle class bracket, I would say, yeah. uh, once you get up to that 5 to £10 a week at that time. Um, so he signs for Celtic 10th of June 1922 goes on loan to Clyde Bank does he do well at Clyde Bank? Yeah he did really well uh, Clyde Bank got relegated that year uh, but he scored 16 goals so I think uh, the club uh, and yeah, the board probably have, have a wee bit to do with it you know shedding uh, someone like Joe Cassidy who was you know one of the, the highest earners at the club okay Jimmy McGrory started to score some goals at this level uh, for a Clyde Bank team who were struggling uh, let's put our faith in him. One, because he's cheaper, uh, and two, because he potentially has the ability to do something. Yeah, that's, do you know what that sounds like? Um, it sounds like Ange Postacoglu's agile transfer kind of market strategy where you've got a young player who has went out and he's scored these 16 goals. You've got an older player who maybe hasn't come to the end of his career or whatever, and it's just about that kind of switching it up and you know, a lot of people could look at it and say um, it's the board being cheap 
and we probably will say that about the, this board as we kind of, of go on. But to give a young player like that an opportunity and for him to repay that value, quite good. Oh, dangerous territory here, Chris. <laughs> you, but you are notoriously a big fan of the Kellys, so I'll let you. I'll let you take that. Of course, the uh, the. the guided us through our most successful period in our his no i'm not even gonna go there um <laughs> t- talk about talk us uh, about what jimmy mcgrory was like as a player so i i mean he's famous for uh scoring goals with his head kind of bullet headers and out when i think of a bullet header I always or sorry these uh, diving bullet headers i always think of that goal that henrik scored for for sweden you know yeah i don't know if it, i wish there was footage of him scoring these goals but he was uh kind of famous for uh, diving headers, um, which given the weight of those balls at the time must have been brutal, but um, only five foot six. Uh, some heat for a wee man, uh, that kind of thing. Huh? Physically, what was he like? You know, you, you've mentioned um, five foot six, but there's a lot of quotes about him and how big he was. Talk us through some of that. Bill Patterson, who used to play for Arsenal, described him as uh, having shoulders like a young Clydesdale. Uh, I think the horse, not the bank, and uh, a neck like a prime Aberdeen Angus, and a head, the nightmare of every goalkeeper. Which I don't know if that meant he like looked like a big scary clown or something. I don't think we've ever done this, but you know this uh, kind of hybrid animal-y type imagery uh, that Bill brings up is is interesting. But I think it, you know he's just a strong guy, and despite not being tall. But at that time, everybody was short, right? So yeah. maybe five foot six was massive. Well, that, that's that's actually kind of true. I was listening to uh, I was listening to I think was it Jimmy Delaney was describing him, and he basically said the way he described him and how kind of some of the newspaper reports described him is he was like a high presser, like he pressed the ball really, really high. And he pressed the kind of defence really, really high. Even though when you think about, you know, there's a kind of idea in your head where you think about, like, players from this era being big, physical, or not necessarily even big, but just being quite physical, being quite aggressive, maybe not having the technical attributes as mo- of modern-day players. But he just seemed to harry, harass, and, the, the like, the word that was missing from a modern perspective of the description of him was high press and high pressing. It's just, I think that was quite interesting. I it's interesting, and I think that you know there's there's similar parallels to players that went before him. So like Jimmy Quinn was also regarded as quite a short guy in stature, but you know very powerful and fast, and would chase uh, defenders down. It's obviously a very different game at that time, you know. Um, but it's it's interesting. I, I'd never found any necessarily quotes from from uh, McGrory about. Uh, players that he kind of idolised growing up, but I, I would imagine Quinn would be in that bracket. So, and and there does seem to be some similarities in kind of player profile, I guess, between the two. Yeah, absolutely. Talk us through some of his stats because they are frankly outrageous. Yeah, f- well, five hundred fifty goals and five hundred forty-seven competitive appearances at club and international level is just mental, absolutely mental. You know, for Celtic, that's you know he scored four hundred and sixty-eight goals in four hundred and forty-five games over a fifteen-year career at the club. Fifty-five hat tricks, eight goals in one game, which is you know a world record. Uh, and and of course, you know these kind of these all culminate into him, you know, holding these records on a, on a world stage. The International Federation of Football History and Statistics has Jimmy McGrory currently ranked 15th in the all-time world's best goalscorer ranking. Currently, only 21 players in history have scored 500 or more goals in top-flight football. In July 2007, the IFFHS produced a survey and McGrory ranked 8th as its greatest striker of all time. In terms of goals per game ratios, 1.04 goals per game, which I guess is what we call goals per 90 now. <laughs> yeah, um, I think the, the astonishing thing is, as I read, that he did it all with an XG of 0.2 as well <laughs> for his whole career. He scored all those goals. 
<laughs> Very good. All from his own box. <laughs> um, the thing is, though, like I think sometimes when you look at these numbers and you look at these goals, there'll be certain people will look at it like, um, like you know, rival fans or following other teams or whatever, and they might turn around and say, "Well, you know, he scored all those goals, but football was different then. Football was different then, of course, but it's not like there's lots of players with these numbers." These numbers are unique for the time as much as they're unique for now, isn't that? Isn't that right, Mark? Yeah, I think uh, if if you look through kind of the players that kind of fill in that kind of top ten bracket of um, all time goal scorers or something, most of them are from kind of seventies, eighties uh, type football. Uh, football definitely has changed through time, but from his era, you know, no one else comes close. Exactly, and I think that's kind of the, you know, guys like Cristiano Ronaldo has scored 824 goals in his career, Messi, 796, Pele, you know, it's kind of like, as we say, it's a lot modern, there's a lot of modern players who score a ridiculous amount of goals, you know, Henrik Larsson scoring, you know, 54 goals in one season, Jimmy McGrory scored 52 in one season, and that was only in 46 games. Yeah, yeah, it's mental. And you know, so I think if you if you took how many extra goals that you could have scored in those games, what would they have been on? Eighty five. Well, that's exactly exactly it. That's because it's just as you say, it's just domestic football. There is no European football. Um, Celtic's top goal scorer for thirteen successive seasons. It's nuts, and 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 when you look at uh, you know even just his uh, league goal, his league. Uh, Go, sorry, goals he scored in the league campaigns um, and compare it to like how many goals we scored as a club. He scored, he's scoring like well over half. In some seasons, it's three quarters of all our goals. Um, I mean, like, so obviously when he was at Clyde Bank, just looking at these uh, stats that you've printed off, when he was at Clyde Bank, um, in 33 games, he played, he scored 16 goals. Um, and then like, you know, the 26-27 season, he scores 59 goals. The 27-28 season, he scores 52 goals. The 28-29 season, he scores 42. You know, these are huge numbers. Then it's weird because they kind of drop off a little bit in regards to it goes 59, 52, 42, 41, 47. Then it hits the 30s. Um, But then in the 1933-34 season, he scores 19. But then two seasons after that, he scores 51. Two seasons before he retires, he scores 51 goals. Just insane amount of consistency. Um, i got to obviously put some of these, uh, how many goals he scored in context of also how the team were performing. Uh, it's, not the, it's not the best era for us uh, during his whole association with the club as a, you know, as a player and then manager, but um, it's just phenomenal. Just the, the amount of goals the guy scores. 24-25 is his first sort of prominent season at Celtic. He scores 30 goals in 36 games. In that season we finished fourth. We finished fourth. Um, and then the season after that we finish um, first. We actually win the league in the 25-26 season. But then it's a lot of third, second, second, fourth, second, third, fourth, third, second. You know, as you mentioned, you know, the season that, as I mentioned, the season that he scores 51 goals, uh, 35 36 we actually finished first um talk us through kind of his um his trophy cabinet and what he actually won when he was at celtic yeah so like over this 15 year career and, and scoring so many bloody goals i mean you know to to leave with you know three league trophies seems a little harsh on on him as a player for his own legacy but then you know the scottish cups you know and- famous for for always winning the scottish cups you know he he won as a player that five times, four Glasgow Cups, uh, and then three Glasgow Charity Cups as well, which were at the time, you know, quite prominent uh, in, in kind of the bragging rights in the city. But um, it's probably not as a illustrious career as maybe some of the more modern day Celtic players would be accustomed to. Scottish League, uh, 25 to 6, 35, 36, 37, 38. Um, Scottish Cup, 1925, 1927, 1931, 
Jimmy McGrory is the all-time leading goalscorer in top-flight British football, with a total of 550 goals in 547 competitive games. This total includes six goals that he scored in six interleague matches for the Scottish League eleven. He is Celtic's top scorer of all time and holds the record for the most goals in a season with 62 goals from 46 games in season 1927-28. He has also notched up a British top flight record of 55 hat-tricks, 48 coming in league games and 7 from Scottish Cup ties. It could be argued he in fact scored 56 as he hit 8 goals in a Scottish League game against Dunfermline on the 14th of January 1928. The 8 goals scored in that match against Dunfermline is also a British top flight record. The boots worn by McGrory and the football used in that game are on display at the Scottish Football Museum. In 2004 he was inducted into both the Scottish Football Hall of Fame and the Scottish Sports Hall of Fame. One thing that um, Jimmy McGrory wasn't very good at was penalties. He, oh, pray tell. He took, we never got them anyway. Ah, well, that's, How that's, many did we get in his whole career, do you think? Uh, well, I read that we got he got, he took three penalties in his career and he only he scored one of them. So, you know, as much as he's good at scoring with his head, he's not very good at uh, scoring from uh, not far out uh, in regards to a penalty. How far out was a penalty? I don't remember. Is it? Five, 12 yards 12 yards there you go did you know that the Klingsman celebration was actually modelled on uh, James McGrory's method for taking penalties well just by trying to header the ball into the goal <laughs> that's it very good um, and, and you've mentioned here about his, his dad passing away and how talk us through that yeah it's I mean it's pretty tragic. I mean, he, you know, he, he comes back uh, from loan uh, from Clyde Bank. Uh, doesn't score in his first three games uh, that season. And then his dad was killed accidentally with a rock in a park. Couldn't find too much, like, detail about it, but, I mean, it's, it's pretty grim. Um, and then, you know, he gets a a week off from the club, goes to his dad's funeral and plays the same day, a couple of hours after the funeral, and actually scores his first goal of that season, which uh, we would go on and, and win the league in, uh, where he'd get 30 goals in, in 30 games of that year. Um, he also scored the winner in the, in the final of the Scottish Cup, but yeah, p- pretty tragic. In regards to the, he scores eight goals in one game, who's against? And uh, talk us through it a bit. He scores eight goals in uh, against Dunfermline in, in 1928. I think five of them are headers in that game as well, which is just phenomenal. Uh, I'd love to see a breakdown of all of his goals and how he scored them. I remember there was a... I used to have this poster of Henrik Larsson and it did that, and that was... I loved that poster. Yeah. I might... I don't know if I've still got it, but and it shows how many goals with the left, right, and... Uh, the header, yeah. The, the head. It would be great to see that for McGrory. Well, let's talk about his Scotland career. Talk us through your... His Scotland career, because it's, in regards to how many goals he scores, goals per game, it's exceptional, but it's quite underwhelming in regards to the many times he was actually capped. I, I don't know if you can call it too much of a career for him. Uh, yeah, You know, seven games, he scores six goals uh, in those seven games, including, I think, probably his kind of highlight. Well, he, he says his highlight of that uh in a Scotland career was was the the late winner he scored in Hamden against England uh, in front of you know one hundred and thirty four thousand one hundred and seventy uh, spectators uh, and supposedly this is where the legendary kind of tag of the Hamden roar was born. Two trains of thought I think on this uh, why he didn't play more. Uh, I think both of us probably would assign with it the argument of he didn't play because of who he was. Uh, I think there's there's some, maybe the apologists would say that Hugh Gallagher, especially in the early days. So I can see it from, from a point of view from like uh, early on when Jimmy McGrory was young, he didn't get in because Hugh Gallagher. And I can see that because Hugh Gallagher was like phenomenal, especially when he played for Scotland. 
uh, he was, you know, I, kind of, I, I guess he's probably one of Newcastle's greatest ever players, but there's a, there's only got a couple to choose from. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in McGrory's first ever game for Scotland, he plays against Ireland in 1928 and uh, we lost 1-0 and he was really made the scapegoat for that. So lots of insinuations about, oh, well, why would he want to score against Ireland and so on. You know, Gallagher had scored 11 games, uh, sorry, 11 times in four games against them in kind of recent history over the last couple of years. So I think there was a bit of, you know, bias there. The only reason he kind of got that chance, I think, was that Gallagher was suspended, you know. But then as you go kind of through and you look at those like peak years of, of McGrory, where he's like scoring so many goals and look at the absolute list of duds that get picked over him, it's just insane. Players from like Third Lanark, not obviously Third Lanark were a, a, a big team at the time, but you know, Neil Dewar, Third Lanark, uh, Barney Battles, Hearts, um, Benny Yorston, these names are incredible. Benny Yorston, Aberdeen, <laughs> Jimmy Smith, Rangers, um, Matt Armstrong, Aberdeen. It's just, it's a lot of people who aren't scoring as many goals as him, essentially. Yeah, I know. I, I, but the, the Barney Battles is brilliant. It's a great <laughs> name. I think he just got. Tick for that. Shug McGlumfer for the uh, Croy Miners Association. Uh, but I mean, at this point, the but, Scotland team were picked by, it was a panel, wasn't it? It was a, a, a Scottish FA panel that decides. Aye, down, the, down the lodge. Yeah, well, essentially, yeah. And, you know, yeah. as, as much as Hugh Gallagher was probably keeping him out of the team at that point, the guy who's scoring 50 goals a season for Celtic is not getting picked. I mean, it, it really does speak volumes. I know I said it earlier as well, but I just think it's mental to think that he didn't get inducted into the the Hall of Fame of our Football Association until 2004. And the guy's, you know, the all-time greatest goal scorer for our country and on a world level, pretty much every metric you can have surrounding goals. Yeah. Um, it's insane. It's... <laughs> I think it kind of says all six goals in seven games. Um, I, you've put a quote from his autobiography, Jimmy McGordy's autobiography, A Lifetime in Paradise. His quote about Scott, his Scotland career: Despite my goal-scoring feats, the SFA overlooked me for the games against the game against England at Wembley, my last chance to play on that famous ground, which, which had always eluded me. But as I've said, we Celts were used to being overlooked in those days. Unfair as it was, it is very refreshing in these modern times. Nineteen seventy-five. To see the club so well represented in the Scottish team, whose jersey I was always proud to wear. That's that's kind of the thing. You know, all this stuff, it just seeds division, you know. And, you know, there's a lot of Celtic fans who aren't necessarily big Scotland fans because of a lot of this. And, I, you know, I am a big Scotland fan. I know you are too, but I can completely understand why you would look at that and think, well... Why should we? You know, I'm the same situation as James McGrory. My my, my mum's from Donegal. My, my father has you know, obviously is from the Gorbals, but his parents were from Donegal. It's my connection to Ireland is the same as McGrory's, but my connection to Scotland's the same as McGrory. So it's it's disappointing that he didn't get more caps for Scotland, obviously. But you know, he is um, a Scotsman of Irish descent, like myself, and will always kind of push for that recognition, and will always. Make it clear that this is our home as much as it's theirs. No, absolutely, and I, and I think uh, you know that kind of extract from his autobiography kind of shows that it did mean a lot to him to play for Scotland as well. Um, you know, I think we're both the same in that regard. It's like you know, you feel like an Irish connection, but you are. I don't know if proud to be Scottish is the right term, but you know, you I probably you know I identify as being Scottish, and if I was ever good enough to play football, I would. You know, I would hope that I could play for my country. Yeah, uh, I think it does mean a lot to players, and I think it meant arguably even more back then uh, to players to play for your national team. Um, and you know, there's a you know, I love these old uh, kind of newspaper extracts where like folk wrote wee poems and daft songs and all that. But there's uh, something from 1936 uh, that I, I think is pretty good. Jimmy McGrory played seven times for the Scotland national team, scoring six goals. All of his goals came in the British Home Championship. He scored three goals against England, all at Hampden, as well as two against Ireland and one against Wales. 
McGrory's winning goal against England in 1933 is the goal that is credited with creating the legendary Hampden Roar. A phenomenal noise is said to have greeted the prolific striker's superb winner and the legend was born. The Evening Times printed an anonymous poem submitted to its Gossip and Grumbles column on the 6th of April 1936. If he hadn't played for Celtic and he'd worn the jersey blue, I'm sure he'd be at Wembley to the delight of me and you. But because a good man's Irish, sure it's always been a sin. Why, they wouldn't give us credit for our champion Jimmy Quinn. Long life to you, McGrory. You're the best we've ever seen. You're the finest centre-forward who wore the white and green. So, nicknames. Talk us through... Talk us through James Edward McGrory's nicknames because there's a few of them, shall we say. I love nicknames for footballers <laughs> and the the nicknames that folk call you behind your back. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They're all very nice. Uh, aye, three, three nicknames that are, are generally associated with him. So the Human Torpedo, the Golden Crust, the Mermaid. Also think uh, Jockstein always called him Boss. Because he was a killer on karaoke, big Bruce Springsteen guy. Uh, but <laughs> I, no, I love I love nicknames from this era of football. They're always so phenomenal. We don't we don't quite have the same inventiveness as people did back then. I don't think. I know we just shorten people's names now, don't we? Samaras, uh, Sammy, you know, <laughs> Samarasi. Uh, <laughs> so the human torpedo. I can, obviously, if he was so good at heading the ball, I can understand the human torpedo will be just, he's like a human torpedo. Dive straight at it, powerful, all that stuff. The golden crust? Because he had defenders on toast. Would that be, would that be why? Is that what it is? Is that what it is? <laughs> no, I don't fucking know. I guess it's just because he's the best. Oh, no, that was, oh, I wish it were. Defenders <laughs> on toast, the golden crust. I like that. Can we? Can we? We'll just say that's what it is. We'll just I think it. that's it. Yeah. And um, the mermaid. What do we know? Why he was called the mermaid? Because he was raised by a family of otters. Okay. I think. Like. Okay. I get it. You've you've went too far there. Um, I thought that was good. I thought that was all right. Uh, the mermaid, I think, is also because he was good at headers, but I don't know how good a mermaid would be at headers. Yeah. I don't understand that one. That's a bit weird, that one. Um, the Golden Crust, though, because they had everyone on toast, is absolutely tremendous. I, I, I like the Golden Crust a lot. What's your favourite nickname um, for a footballer, a Celtic footballer? The Maestro. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think I know who that player is. You've never talked about. Him. I've never talked about him. But no, the, I think the Maestro is probably a Caesar's good, although it's to do with Caesar Romero rather than because uh, uh, he had a motor. Because he had a motor. Essentially, that's literally how he got that nickname. Um, we could do a whole podcast on um, nicknames. nicknames. I mean, we, we should. Do, yeah. In regards to McGrory, obviously all the goals that he scored, um, his incredible goal-scoring feats, there was obviously transfer links, the most famous one being to Arsenal. There's a story about him and a potential move to Arsenal. Can you talk us through that, Mark? Yeah, so this is, uh, I mean, this is a pretty, I think it's quite a sad story, honestly, because McGrory has absolutely no idea about it. Everything's been happening in the background, and I don't, honestly think Willie Mealy comes out in a great light from it either. Um, so you got to think as well, at the time the board is, you know, made up of a bunch of businessmen, but then you've also got James Kelly, right? No Kelly, no Celtic. He's our first ever captain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, the Kelly family, I think, has brings up a whole load of thoughts and feelings with a lot of Celtic fans, especially around our age. Yeah. Um, but I, James Kelly's a huge figure in our history. Um, and I, I kind of think he thought that too. Like, I, I think kind of the one of the big problems we have with the Kellys is that they thought they were Celtic. Yeah. So that kind of old phrase of, of no Kelly, no Celtic, kind of just kind of went to their head and then it became this like family dynasty yeah anyway the, the board had these plans to to build a new stadium 
they'd already started selling off some of our, our best assets. So, you know, Tommy uh, McAnally, who was regarded as being one of the best uh, players we had at that time, young player, sold him to Sunderland. And then uh, kind of an older player, bit of a, I guess we call him a veteran at that time, you know, Adam McLean also went to, to Sunderland both in May and June, uh, respectively. And then in August 1927, Arsenal bid £8,000, which was a record transfer fee at the time. Um, and the club accepted it. Willie Mealy was, was accepting of it as well. And then invited McGrory. And this is where I think it's just so... It's just really shite to read something like this about someone like Mealy, who, you know, is so well-revered. Yeah. Invites McGrory on a trip to Lourdes. They're both devout Catholics. He knows that uh, McGrory, given the chance, will accept this trip to Lourdes. Uh, and the two of them go together. Uh, and they stop at Euston Station. Um, and then they're met by uh, Chapman and Samuel Hillwood, who are the manager and, and, and owner of, of Arsenal at the time. Um, and again, McGrory has no idea. So kind of kind of goes with them to some hotel near Euston Station, uh, still not really putting two and two together about why this might happen, and then gets put in a room with Chapman. Uh, and, and the story is, is that you know Chapman was offering them anything he wants uh, he, he asked McGrory how much would it take for you to come and he says ah, it would take me a £2,000 uh, signing on fee kind of taking the piss and and Chapman says ah, okay well, well we'll end conversations here um, and then McGrory and, and Mealy end up going to Lourdes and then coming back which is where I think the story gets even more mental uh, they say they increase the bid to £10,000 and then they literally hand McGrory a blank cheque and say, okay, £2,000 or more, whatever you want, sign it. Um, and again, he just, he won't be convinced. And, uh, you know, famously afterwards, they said, you know, McGrory of Arsenal just never sounded as good as McGrory of Celtic. Um I think after those meetings, you know, Bailey said to have uh, shook hands with Chapman and said he was very sorry. Uh, and the Highbury chief, you know, replied, not as sorry as me, Mr. Bailey. This is how much the, they wanted him. Um, it, it's just, it's wild. And what happened when he went back to Celtic? The club obviously repaid his, uh, repaid how faithful he was to the club by reducing his wage from £9 a week to £8 a week. It's, you know, and then the season after that, he would score 52 goals. <laughs> just, I, I don't think, uh, I don't even think, certainly not someone like me talking about it can really articulate clearly just how much playing for Celtic meant to, to James McGrory. And I, I don't think, well, you know, plenty of footballers out there who, you know, kiss a badge, hold up a megaphone every now and again, you know, do a wee dance. Uh, but this guy meant it. I mean... Absolutely meant it. So they reduce his wages, um, and then obviously just he spends the rest of his, his career with Celtic, and he goes on, again, incredible goal-scoring feats. That's why, like, legitimately and genuinely, um, I know sometimes on various Cynic podcasts, I'll always say I don't trust the board, you know, and I know this was a long time ago, but look how the board of Trita does, and look how the board because Jimmy McGrory, obviously, how much it meant to him, as as you're saying, how much it meant to him to pull on that hooped jersey and to represent a club and a people, as Tommy Burns would say, and a cause, and for them just to reduce his wages and for him to accept it. I think uh, that you touch on a really good point there at the end. You know, we're saying that he accepted it. And uh, there's something a wee bit sad about that, you know, kind of not seeing obviously the tremendous value he brought, but ultimately for him just playing for Celtic just meant more than any kind of personal pride. Yeah. Because his personal pride was all invested in playing for Celtic. Um, But that 
that acceptance of how he was treated there, I think generally would could probably point to some things in his managerial time. Yes. At Celtic as to why he wasn't so successful. Well, that's a really good segue into him being a manager. He was a manager of Celtic between 1945 to 1960. He was a manager for 20 years, which is incredible for for any man to be in charge of a football club for that long. Um, talk us through his his journey to uh, journey as the football manager at, at Celtic. I took over from Jimmy McStay, who's the great uncle of of the maestro. Um, you know. Jimmy McStay had been the manager from the, really the war years, 40 to 45. Um, maybe another uh, maybe another move by the board to save money. Could use the same initials on the tracksuits or something. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. <laughs> nah, so I mean, in Jimmy McStay, so one of, one of the big kind of, Faults of Jimmy McStay is said to have been that he was dominated by the board and he was gentlemanly. All of the same things everybody always says about McGrory. Yeah. So they traded one for the other. Um, and, you know, Bobby Evans, Patrick uh, Creran, the two of them were venomous in their uh, language they used about the board and how Jimmy McGrory was, was treated. And what kind of comes up time and time again when you look at when you look at any kind of quotes about that period of time, which which wasn't great. I mean, you know, he won one league cup. Sorry, what you know, he won one league, uh, two Scottish cups, and uh, two league cups during this time. And some of the where we place in the league is is really scary. Um, all of the players from that time, and there were some phenomenal players then, they all loved him. They all talk about him as being such a great figure. They all kind of idolised him, I think. Yeah. Probably probably not as a manager, but as a as a man and, and as a player. You know, this is a guy where, you know, Steen even, you know, when Steen was a Celtic manager, he always still re- referred to McGrory as the boss, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's important to kind of understand that. I mean, he had some, he did have some, you know, kind of crowning moments, but they were through this mire of 20 years of a slog. Jimmy McGrory was Celtic manager from August 1945 till March 1965, a 20-year span that brought highs and lows. In the 1947-48 season, Celtic finished 12th in a 16-team league campaign, a mere four points of relegation. However, the 1953-54 season would see Celtic crowned as champions and Scottish Cup winners and the season after, they would come close to two in a row but would finish second, losing out to Aberdeen. In his time as manager, Celtic won Coronation Cup in 1953, Scottish League 1953-54, the Scottish Cup 1951 and 1954, and the Scottish League Cup 1956-57, and 1957-58, the Glasgow Cup, 1948-49, 1955-56, 1961-62, He managed Celtic for 843 games, winning 419, drawing 177 and losing 247, meaning he won 49.7% of games he managed. Some of the key moments, um, the Coronation Cup victory in 1953, which, as you've written here, Mark, um, a real poke in the eye for the establishment. Uh, the League and Cup double in 1953-54 is always talked about like like a miracle almost, because it's how did we kind of do it? I Absolutely, and especially if you look at those years running up to that league when you know, we were you know 7th, 12th, 6th, 5th, 7th, 9th, 8th, and then we, you know, we win the league uh, that year, and, and I mean that, that. I think it kind of points to this fact that the team at that time had a lot of talent in it. Um, the, the 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 squad of players was, you know, some of the names that come up are some of the best players we ever had. You know, 
I think when I think McGrory had, had played with Patsy Gallagher, and he's always kind of thought of as kind of being the generation before Charlie Tully. Yeah. You know? But then you've got Bertie Peacock, Bobby Evans. You've got these players which are, are really regarded as being, you know, top, top talents. Paddy Crerand as well. I mean, that's a, another name that maybe for Celtic fans is overlooked, but for Man United fans certainly isn't. Um, there was a lot of talent in this team. I mean, the funny thing is, you know, my dad grew up in the Gorbals and he kind of he, he knew... I don't know if he knew him personally, but he always talks about how essentially Paddy Crerin did not want to leave Celtic. And the board pretty much didn't give him a choice. Just away you go. And that's that's kind of the whole thing. In regards to McGrory, you know, you, you've mentioned that Jimmy McStay was, you know, gentlemanly. Um, and the board kind of used that as a way of kind of, kind of you know, running over him in a way. My dad had always mentioned in the past that kind of it was not common knowledge, but there was a lot of knowledge that Jimmy McGrory was maybe seen more as a figurehead rather than the actual manager. Would that be fair to say? Ah, oh, definitely. Um, you know, when he refused to go to Arsenal, we had James Kelly reducing his wages, and then you know we've got his. Uh, then at this time, when he's he's the manager, you've got Bob Co- uh, Bob Kelly calling the shots, you know. Um, Well-known fact that anything surrounding team selection, tactics, anything during the game, obviously there's no substitutes at this time, um, but, you know, any changes in shape or or instructions to the player all came from from the director's box and then were passed down to the trainer. And and I think when you look at any quotes from the Kellys, sorry, Bob Kelly at that time, you hear... They always talk about him as a trainer. They don't talk about him as a manager. Yeah. Um, and I think fundamentally it's this, uh, it's like a nepotism versus then like a pragmatism of, of how successful you're being. Uh, but they, they certainly went with a completely different character when they appointed Steen. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's kind of, and even Steen, how they treated him towards the end. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, just horrendous stuff. Willie Maley was the boss right up till 1940 when he was succeeded by one of his former captains, Jimmy McStay, who was in turn succeeded in 1945 by yet another Celt who played under Maley, Jimmy McGrory. His rule lasted till 1965. McGrory's most successful team was the one which won the Coronation Cup in 1953 and went on to complete a League and Cup double in 1954. The captain, Jock Steen. So, I mean, ultimately, you know, from a football manager, from a managing point of view, his legacy would be more than likely that 53-54 title double. Um, you've written here that we almost came close to making it two in a row with the 54-55 season, but we didn't actually quite get there. Would you? Would it be fair to say that 53-54 title is kind of his, his biggest legacy or would it would it be the Coronation Cup? Oh, for me it's Hamden in the Sun. Or Hamden in the Sun, of course. We've not even talked about that. Talk us through got to be talk us through that. Oh it's it's got to be it's just got everything. Um it's just that cliche of form goes out the window and all that. We were struggling at that time and you know and that it's songs always paint the best pictures that I mean and it's just like, I think that the feeling at that time was that we were hopeless. Uh, and I think even probably our own support, manager, board, players, all to some extent had that same feeling. And then we go out and, and win 7-1. Yeah. Uh, you know, while a gallant band of faithful sing the wearing of the green, it's just attendances were poor everything was you know we just weren't in a good place and then to beat your rivals 7-1 in the final of a cup is just it just blows my mind yeah so 1957 the league cup final Celtic beat Rangers seven goals to one um which obviously stems the famous song Hamden in the sun uh piling on the agony putting on the style um you know the whole kind of a lot of kind of Celtic folklore comes from from this time. Weirdly, even though we weren't necessarily very successful, 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, we, we talked about a team with talent. The team that played in that 7-1 game, I think I can remember them all. Go on, go on. Make some noise for the boys and goals. Dick Beatty. Hey, Beatty, Donnelly Fallon, Fernie, Bobby Evans, Tully Collins, Mocking Wilson, McPhail, Peacock. That's it. That's 11. That's 11? Who scored the goals? Yeah, buddy. And it was nearly, nearly Mocking's due when he slipped in and made it number two. But, but that team, so I guess I was, I was trying to point to the fact that that, that team, like, despite having such a last, lack of success, there's some names in there where our parents and grandparents talk about in such high Regard. esteem. Yeah. Like Neil Mockin. I think the names that stick out probably are Neil Mockin, McPhail, Collins, Tully, Peacock, yep. Evans, Fallon. I mean, you're talking about seven of those players, I would say at least, who are really regarded as being probably legends of the club. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. And that, that one kind of, that one result, that one game just will live live long in, you know, the, 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 the legend that is kind of Celtic. And obviously, you know, Jimmy McGrory was the manager. And, you know, he's, for all we can say about maybe he wasn't, fully in charge of, of certain things. At the end of the day he has to put the team together and, and he's on the sidelines, so that's his kind of that's his legacy of, of being the Celtic manager. Um but what do you think? Do you think the Coronation Cup's the one? Eh, I just thought I, I think I think just the Coronation Cup, the reason I always think it's great is because it, literally as you've put here, it is really that poke in the eye to the establishment, the fact that Celtic won it. Um I just think is I just think, to be honest, I just think it's kind of hilarious more than anything else. I think it's like a really funny thing. Um, but uh, you know, and to have the like, and to have the final between two Catholic clubs, two clubs. You know what I mean, it's just great. Yeah, it's everything that they didn't want, and that I think that's why it's really kind of. I always think it's quite funny, and and, and it's great. But um, he he left. Who became the manager after he left? Have you ever heard of a man called uh, Jock? Steen. I have. Um, and obviously he would go and revolutionise Celtic. He'd revolutionise Scottish football. He'd revolutionise European football. Um, and that handover from Jimmy McGrory, a former Celtic, one of the greatest goal scorers of all time, to Jock Steen, who was someone that was brought in as a stopgap, who ended up going on and becoming captain. Um, it's something quite romantic about that yeah definitely and and i think uh well we yeah we definitely owe probably modern day celtic to to jockstein um but shouldn't shouldn't lose sight of of the of guys like jimmy mcgrory i guess who that foundation was built on jimmy mcgrory served celtic with distinction and honor both as a player and a manager When he left the manager position at Celtic, the board appointed McGrory to the new role of Public Relations Officer, a post he would retain until his retirement in 1979. He passed away on the 20th of October 1982, aged 78. On Celtic being crowned European champions, McGrory was quoted as saying, I actually broke down in tears of joy that night. The first time in all my years in the game that I had cried. What a thrill it was to see young boys like Murdoch McNeil, Johnston, Gemmell, Clark and Lennox coming of age. What a thrill it was to see the club I'd served all my life reach its pinnacle. My one ambition now is to live long enough to shed some more tears into that magnificent European Cup. James Edward McGrory, uh, a man born uh, in Scotland of Irish parents who became Celtic's record goal scorer and the greatest striker Celtic have ever had. Um, a manager, 
he did plenty of interesting things, maybe not as successful as as, as some, but you know, very integral in terms of the the handover to the great Jockstein. Mark Braceland, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you for dropping all this history and knowledge on us. No, thanks, mate. Thank you very much. So this has been the stories and the songs um, with a focus on James McGrory. We also have, well, there's plenty of other ones. Uh, the, the one we did before this was on Charlie Tully, which is uh, available for everyone. Um, Mark Braceland, as always, an absolute pleasure and a joy, sir. Christopher Gallagher, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. It's been great to chat to you and great to talk about Jimmy McGrory. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Uh, from Mark Braceland... I'm Chris Gallagher, and this has been The Stories and the Songs. Oh.
Good old man, his skill and face shone bright. 